but let's try this. All right, so our first question, I'll save that one. <laughs> okay. Oh, um, oh, here's another one. Okay, great. Thank you. All right. Um, I, we can, we can, um, add this prayer. So, um, let's, uh, let's, um, take a moment now in prayer. This was in the prayer, uh, the basket and I missed it. I'm sorry. Um, let, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray for, uh, travel mercies, not just for the, the travelers we spoke of earlier, but in particular, we pray for, as he is, uh, able now to go and attend the funeral of his family patriarch, Alfred Abane Baye in Lagos, Nigeria. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. So, the first question is, what authority does St. Peter have with the keys to the kingdom? All right. What authority does St. Peter have with the keys to the kingdom? All right. Uh, so, um, if you had pew Bibles, which um, maybe we'll have again someday, or if not, you can use your phone and Google it or something like that. Um, so, uh, uh, this is a reference, I believe, to Matthew eighteen, nineteen. I'll find it. Sixteen, seventeen, somewhere in here. Let me find it. Okay, so uh, it's Matthew 16. So, all right. Um, so, um, uh, this is reading from um, Matthew's uh, biography of Jesus, starting in chapter 16 at verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do the people say? Who do people say the human one is?" And they replied, "Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah." and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he, Jesus, said, And what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, Happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my Father who is in heaven has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter. The gates of the underworld won't be able to... And I'll build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. All right, so the question is, what um, what authority does St. Peter have with the keys to the kingdom? So, um, all right, so the... Um, that's the passage that's probably in view here, and uh, this is used uh, by uh, some Christian traditions to say that there are um, that there are uh, uh, that Saint Peter in particular had uh, a unique authority to um, to uh, over the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. So very broad authority um, is is uh, claimed by people who uh, take that interpretation. 
there's um, there's a couple of problems that Protestants um, I actually don't know very well about the Eastern Orthodox, but largely there's three three major groups of Christians. There's there's the Eastern Orthodox, um, and there are the uh, uh, Roman Catholics, and um, they have some things in common and they have some things that are different. One of the things they disagree on is the authority of the Pope. So in the Eastern tradition, there's several popes, and uh, it's a it's like a it's like a bishop only more so. And uh, the 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 Roman Church, uh, one of the early arguments they had with the the Eastern Church was, our pope is more better than your pope, and uh, so they said that we've got the the pope of all popes. So that's a that's an argument that they have uh, um, between them. And then there's another large group of Christians, which is uh, Protestants. And they say, uh, and they make an argument here, and I don't have the Greek in front of me, but they make arguments that the way that this is stated, when Jesus says, uh, you are Peter, um, you are the rock, and then he says, on this rock, I will build my church, that there's apparently some some linguistic issues that say um, that, that make it so he's saying, well, you're Peter, you're the rock, and I'm going to tell you about another rock, the rock that I will build my church on. What church is that? It is the thing you just said, that you are Christ, the Son of the living God, that that, that is the authority that Jesus is talking about. So that's the general Protestant um, understanding of, of this passage. Now, as for what that authority is, um, the, the argument is, is that something that Peter and his successors, so all the different popes of the Roman church, um, have over... over um, uh, uh, fastening things on earth and uh, loosening things on um, in heaven. So, um, so, uh, what 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 authority does that mean? Well, it's it's very broad authority, um, but in particular, the word fasten and loosen have to do with forgiveness. That if if you uh, hang on to this forgiveness, then um, then. I mean, sorry. If you if you hang on to a to a sin, if you say that person is is um, unrepentant, that we're not going to count that sin as forgiven, um, then then you would have that authority. Um, and uh, the uh, the opposite is also true. If you lo- loosen it, if you let go of it, then uh, then the church would would view that as not having happened. And um, and so if you if you're having an argument over the the Office of Peter, then, then this doesn't come up as much because uh, we we believe that that is a um, uh, that that is something that is spoken to the whole church, that the church as as believers as part of the body of Christ are engaged in this work together. It's like saying if you know if you all right. Um, If you put an end to slavery, right? The church of the the 1700s and 1800s was was really the reason that slavery was stopped, and um, uh, none of us had anything to do with that, right? But but if you're saying you the church, if we if we confess ourselves to be part of the church, then we would be involved in that work, um, whatever that looks like today, whatever the current version of that same thinking. How can people be freed from their their Oppressors, that that would be part of that same work. So we would say, I didn't actually have anything, you know, William Wilberforce and those other evangelicals who put an end to slavery, I didn't have anything to do with them, but I'm engaged in that work. I'm part of that tradition that is doing this work. So you, the church, 
um, have that work of fastening things on earth or, or loosening them on earth. So it's not so much, uh, in the Protestant understanding, it's not so much a question of authority as um, mission statement. What are you engaged in? What are you trying to do? So that's... Um, that's the best I can do. If I had the the a translation in Greek, I could probably understand some of the arguments. But I've I've read them before, and I know that that's the general um, the general questions. Is there's linguistic uh, matters about whether um, whether the uh, who who Jesus is talking about when he says this rock, and that there's an argument. Obviously. Um, very smart people who've studied uh, these matters very closely still disagree. All right. Oh, here's a question. What happened to Esau? Esau. Okay. Um, so Esau. Who is Esau? If we go back to um, uh, Genesis twenty something. So where is it? Esau is the older brother of. Isaac, of, of, um, Jacob, sorry, yes. So Isaac, Isaac is their father. So, I'm trying to find this, so. Isaac gets married, it probably happened after that. Um, so 26? 27, okay, so Genesis 27. So, um, uh, there, there have been these two sons, uh, we've, we've already heard about them before, and uh, they're what forty? Esau's forty years old, and Esau um, uh, has his blessing taken away. Um, uh, his older brother, ja- or his younger brother Jacob, steals his blessing. He should have been the family heir by the traditions of that place, but God had said that that wouldn't happen. And then um, uh, Jacob's mother um, schemes a little bit to make sure that. Um, schemes with Jacob to make sure that Jacob gets the blessing. And then Esau kind of drops out of out of the um the story. Uh so we don't know exactly what happens to him in the sense of, you know, Esau it it goes on um Esau has has a life of his own. The story, the focus of the story changes to Isaac. And um so um uh Jacob is sent away. So in chapter 27 verse 41 Uh, We read, Esau was furious at Jacob because his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, when the period of mourning for the death of my father is over, I will kill my brother. And Rebecca, who is still scheming, she tells her when she was told what her older son Esau was planning, she summoned her younger son and said, Esau, your brother is planning revenge. He plans to kill you. So now, my son, listen to me. Get up and escape to my brother Laban in Haran, way off in the Fertile Crescent. So... Your brother uh, does not get a chance to kill him. Ray, uh, Jacob has a whole story for the next several chapters. But finally, he comes back um, uh, several chapters later. And um, uh, so Jacob now has to go back to the place he left, the place he ran away from Esau in. And it says, Jacob went on his way and God's messengers approached him. When um, Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he named that sacred place Mahanaim. And he sent messengers ahead of him toward, to his brother Esau toward the land of Seir, the open country of Edom. And then Jacob has um, uh, um, an encounter with God there at the, the brook of the Jabbok River. He wrestles with God. And then um, the next morning, he finally follows all these people he sent ahead of him. And uh, what we read there is that 
Esau ran to meet him, threw his arms around his neck, kissed him, and they wept. And Esau looked up and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? And he says, The children that your God that God generously gave your servant. And the, the women, servants, and their children came forward and so forth. So they had this meeting, and uh, he says, he says, Why have you sent me so many gifts? And the answer is because I stole your blessing, right? And it's only appropriate that I give you these blessings. And they have this kind of uh, uh, Middle Eastern haggling over the gifts back and forth. And, oh, no, you know, you, I've got plenty. And then Jacob says, no, please do me the kindness. So so he says, let's break camp and go and set out, and I'll go with you. But Jacob says, my master knows my children aren't strong. If I push them hard um, uh, uh, for even one day, all the flocks will die. My master, go on ahead of your servant, but I've got to take it easy. Go only going as fast as the animals in front of me. And Esau says, well, let me leave some of my people with you. And Jacob says, no, bad idea. Let's not do that. Um, so he builds himself a house. And so basically they separate. And uh, according to tradition, Esau goes on to found the, the nation of Edom. So uh, Israel is on one side of the Jordan River and Edom is on the other side. And um, they basically uh, have, have back and forth from time to time. Uh, Edom is not a place that, that uh, Israelites have happy memories of. Um, they, they think that Edom... Uh, stood by and, and um, watched, or in some cases helped when Israel was having troubles of its own. But I want to read, um, if I can find it quickly, I want to read one more line. Um, there's there's a passage in Deuteronomy um, where um, where God tells that the people they're coming into the land. They've they've been in Israel, uh, they've been in Egypt. They've wandered around in the wilderness for forty years, and um, and they're they're kind of sneaking around sideways to come to come across the Jordan. Um, they can't go up straight up straight up from from Egypt uh, from out out of the Sinai Peninsula out of the wilderness into Israel. So instead of that, they do this sideways thing where they go far to the east and then come back across the Jordan River. So that's what they're about to do, and um, uh, God tells them. Uh, uh, he says, you've been traveling around uh, long enough, head north, command the people as follows. And he says, um, you're about to enter into the territory of your relatives who live in Seir, Esau's descendants. They will be afraid of you because you guys have just defeated uh, uh, the Pharaoh in Egypt. So if you can do that, they're going to be afraid of you. But he says, watch yourselves most carefully. They will be afraid of you. So watch yourselves. Why do you watch yourselves? He says, don't fight with them, because I will not give you the tiniest parcel of their land to you. I have given Mount Seir to Esau's family as their property. God says, I've got my own story that's going on with Esau, and it's not in this book. Right? And and he explicitly tells these victorious uh, Israelites who are escaping, um, well, it's been 40 years, but they are, they've had God on their side now for 40 years. And they probably think, you know, we're, we're all that. God, God's gonna do anything we want. And God says, no. I've got my own story with Edom. I've got my own story with Esau's people because I have made promises to them too, but they're just not in this book. And so, uh, what, what, um, what happened to Esau? We don't know because they are not in this book. All right. All right. Wow, I've got a whole list of these. Okay. Um, I need to be going through these faster is my problem. So, um, all right. 
So here's a here's an easy question. All right, the question is, how does the Lord see divorce when one partner refused reconciliation? All right, so um, I'm going to... The problem with some of these questions... Actually, let me... Um, I can find it quicker if I look up the... Uh, So um, I'm going to quote Jesus so you can send him email. (laughs) All right. Uh, Divide, divination, divorce. Okay. So... um, so it's mentioned in uh, twice in Matthew's um, uh, gospel. So let's go to Matthew 19. And um, this is the general teaching about divorce. It doesn't explicitly talk about refusing reconciliation. Um, so... Uh, Let's let's see what Jesus has to say. So Matthew uh, nineteen, starting in verse one, um, starting in verse um, three, some Pharisees came to test him. Uh, to, came to him in order to test him. They said, "Does the law allow a man to divorce his wife for just any reason?" <laughs> Jesus answers, "Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them f- male and female, and God said, because of this a man should leave his father and mother, and be joined together with his wife, and the two will be one flesh." So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, humans must not pull apart what God has put together. And the Pharisees said to him, Then why did Moses command us to give a divorce certificate and divorce her? And Jesus answers the question this way. He says, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives because your hearts are unyielding. But it wasn't that way from the beginning. I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. And so it goes on from there. And then there's some teaching about this in Paul's letters. Um, uh, I would like to, if, if I can get contact information for this person, um, uh, you can find me on, online or in the phone, um, the call of the church office. I would like to, to give you a more particular answer with some study. But the general th- teaching that Jesus has on, on divorce is... That that the law cannot do what only God can do. The law can say, if you're going to divorce because you have stubborn hearts, if you're going to get divorced, then there has to be a certain process. There has to be a process so that people are protected as much as can be protected in a world full of people with stubborn hearts. So the law is doing what it can. Uh, Martin Luther King used to say, the, the law cannot change the human heart, but it can restrain the heartless. So if people are genuinely heartless, then the law enables them to to um, to uh, 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 be divorced. If somebody is is uh, you know in, in situations of abuse or or neglect or um, things like that, there are places where you say, "Look, I can't change this person's heart," and so the only thing that can be done is to divorce. Um, but Jesus also talks about how. Um, what, what God can do is God can change change the heart. Only God can change the heart. So the um, the the general way I would look at divorce is uh, is that 
Every divorce is the result of sin, but that doesn't mean that in a particular circumstance that to be divorced, uh, to, to divorce someone is the worst sin. That there may be worse sins that could be um, the result of staying married. Um, so, uh, and the reason for that is that is that some people's hearts are uh, hard. Uh, if you're in that situation yourself, I think the the place you could you could ask is is um, uh, am I am I is there is there an issue of safety? So if, if there's a safety issue, then you should get get away. Um, um, in particular, if there are other people that you're responsible for, um, you should get away. So safety is one issue, but um, if it's just a question of I don't like this person anymore, I thought they were a different person when we got married, and now I'm finding that you know I'm not so much a fan. You know, you can't change their heart. And Paul says, uh, don't don't be unequally yoked. But he but but you can also say, well, have I given this enough time? Have I prayed for my own heart to change? Because one of the things that Christians can do when you're having any kind of argument, not just a divorce, is you can say, okay, what part of this is is on me? Okay, they are 98% the reason for this problem. What about that 2%? Can I deal with that 2%? And maybe maybe that's a place where you can say, look, God, I need help with this 2% because, because you know, that may change the situation. You know, who knows? But... Um, but uh, divorce is a sin. Jesus is clear on that. But it may not be the worst sin. Um, and and the 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 only real solution is is not a legal one of you you must do this or you must not do that. But to have God change the heart. So um, if you if you are in that situation um, or if you know people who are, um, pray for them because because divorce is ultimately a heart problem. All right. If I move a little quicker. We can do one more. Okay. A uh, question from Sharon. Am I familiar with some of the major changes in the newest edition of the NRSV? So I, I've heard about this. Um, so uh, the new revised... Here, I'm going to give you a Bible nerd thing. So this is this is the, the new revised standard uh, version. It came out in 1973, I think. Um, it's built... Uh, it's based on the... The plain old RSV, which came out in the 1950s, and the reason for that is because the biblical language doesn't change, but English does, and so they're periodically changing things. Uh, once in a while, they find something new. Um, you know, uh, a couple of generations ago, there were the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they wanted to update uh, the the Bibles uh, with the ba- latest scholarship. Um, I have heard, and apparently so is Sharon, that um, there there are. Uh, there is going to be a new, new revised standard, devi- uh, sta- standard deviation, standard version. Um, and uh, I don't know when that's going to be out. Um, it may already be out, for all I know. But typically the changes um, come in terms of uh, tracking English, um, uh, the, the way that English changed. I'll give you an example. Bruce Metzger, who was the, who was the, he was, he was the chair of the he was the the chairperson of the new revised standard committee and he um he uh was a leader in the RSV back in the 50s and I used to see him when I was at seminary he was in his 90s uh, he died a few years ago but he was in his 90s and he would show up at the Spear library and uh, putter around you know reading the newspaper or whatever um and I just you know would think to myself how many 
how many hours has he spent in this library? Um, but he used to give an example. He would say, in the Revised Standard Version, uh, Paul Paul says how he has um, uh, he has been subjected to the punishment by the by the uh, Jewish councils in different towns of being stoned. And in the 1970s, they changed that to um, instead of instead of three times I was stoned, they changed that to three times I received a stoning. Because by the 1970s, the word stoned um, had had uh, come to mean uh, something something different than it did in the 1950s, and so Paul no longer was stoned three times. So um, so that's one of the things that they changed the the language for. Um, they also have updated according to um, uh, things like inclusivity. They want to make sure that um, if it says um, you know if it says uh, Something in there in in the in the original languages uh, from patriarchal societies, and, and to some extent still in English, uh, the general word for a person is a man. Um, the general pronoun for somebody is he. You say, um, and, and you know this is this is dying out in English. Increasingly, we say um, somebody left their pencil on the table. We don't say somebody left his pencil. But in, in biblical Greek or in biblical Hebrew, you would absolutely say somebody left his pencil on the table because that's just the way the language functioned. Um, we don't have as much of that. Some languages, you know, those of you who studied Spanish or things, uh, there are a lot of languages that are very, very much um, gender is so much a part of the language. But in English, um, that seems to be dying out. And so that's one of the changes. I assume that there's going to be changes like that um, uh, just to track the way the language is, is evolving. I'm not aware of any major um, uh, um, scholarly uh, the things that have come up. Uh, you know, they're always making uh, little changes, and there'll be little, little footnotes at the bottom that says, you know, most Hebrew manuscripts, this thing, or something like that. They'll have those things. So sometimes there's something that, that's worth commenting on, but usually there it's more of a... Uh, Minor, minor adaptation than a, than a big change. Um, but I will put in a plug in for, for, uh, this. Bibles are cheap. You know, back in the day, you know, um, when, when, um, Gutenberg made the Bible, a piece, you know, they, they had those church Bibles, you know, the, the ones about this big and about this wide, that was the size of a page. Um, and it's got a name, I can't remember, it's Octavo or Verso or something like that, some printer's term. But these oversized Bibles, that one sheet of parchment cost in today's purchasing power about 25 or $30. So that's why the Bibles were chained to the, pu- chained to the pulpit, because they didn't want them to, to vanish. Um, but Bibles today, you know, they are so affordable. And, you know, if, if you just can't afford, you know, whatever, $9 or something for a Bible, um, uh, then you can you can um, you can go online because we have the internet and there's any number of Bibles. So something I would encourage somebody to do is if they're reading the New Revised Standard Version and it says Paul was stoned three times, really, um, you can go look at a different translation. And and these translations are all excellent translations. There's really no bad translations being printed these days. Um, uh, the footnotes sometimes are arguable, but the translations are usually very good. Um, so read it in a different translation. Um, everybody, everybody, there's no excuse for people today. You know, Bibles don't cost $25 a page. So, um, so there's no excuse. If you're puzzled by a word in a Bible or something like that, look it up in a different Bible. Go online. Go to, go to Bible.cc and it, it gives you the ability to compare a single verse in 
20 translations with just like one one little click. So um, so I'm not familiar, but I would say uh, in general, um, no one should no one should depend on just one Bible because we don't have to. Um, we have the advantage of having all these um, these scholars who are working for peanuts. So uh, with that, let us. Um, um, I would like to ask the the person who 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 asked the question about divorce. If you would contact me, I can give you a more complete answer about the specific question about when someone has refused reconciliation. So um, with that, let me um, let me close in prayer. Gracious and loving God, um, uh, we thank you for the, the gift of the Bible and the opportunities that you give us to study it. Um, Lord, uh, help us to remember that the Bible is not a rule book, but um, but a love story um, that teaches us how much you love us and how much you want us to be delivered from our troubles, so much that you sent your Son to save us. Lord, um, let us be guided by your word. Um, let us turn to you uh, for clarity when it is unclear. And um, where where it reveals our flaws, Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage to turn to you and ask you to change us. All these things, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.